Welcome to the Limerick Voice podcast, brought to you by the Limerick Voice and presented by me, Lisa Divney. I am joined by local historian and author Tom Toomey to speak about the Limerick curfew murders 100 years on and what Limerick was like during the War of Independence. It was an industrial city in the sense that a fair amount of industry, there were four bacon factories in Limerick at the time. There was O'Mara's, there was Matheson's, there was Shaw's and there was Denny's. Now Denny's, one that surprises you, it was actually Denny's and Clove Meats were across the road from each other. Matheson's and O'Mara's in um, Roche Street. Now there's a misconception about the bacon industry in Limerick that the butchers had all these magical uh, ways of curing bacon. When the truth is that what gave Limerick its um, unique flavour were the waters from which the bacon was cured. They seem to have the mineral properties that give Limerick a unique flavour. Across the road from each other in um, Mulgrave Street. Two of the factories across the road from each other in Roche Street. Surprise, surprise. They're probably drawing water from the same springs. Was Limerick a staunchly Republican county in comparison to the likes of Cork that would have been renowned for its republicanism? Oh, I wouldn't say dramatically Republican, but certainly very Catholic. A far higher um, percentage and influence of, we say, of Protestants and that in Cork and in Dublin. Now, you can, that's a good thing or a bad thing. Certainly, like when the Limerick Soviets have been misnomer, kicked off in 1919. Now, there's a big percentage of uh, communist inspired workers' um, uh, strike. Well, if it was, it was the only, uh, dare I say, it, Soviet or communist inspired strike that stopped to say the Angelus a bit. So it's, um, <laughs> as I said, the contradictions are in there the whole time. Very militant labour, but very Catholic. So I want to get into the victims. So first, I think we should talk about George Clancy and where he came from, what his life was like before he came back to Limerick. George Clancy was from Grange. His background, his family would have been staunchly Fenian. His father would have been Fenians. He was obviously very bright. Had a secondary education, I think probably in the Christian Brothers in Brook. He ended up in UCD doing, a presume, um, a degree in the arts for teaching. And he qualifies as a secondary teacher. And he taught in Clangos Wood with James Joyce. He, he was actually a friend. He was friendly with James Joyce. Now, at some stage, he married Mary Clean, and she was from the Limerick area. I'm not certain where she's from now, but um, so her father actually had been an RIC man. Now, Joseph O'Donoghue was different in that he wasn't actually from Limerick, wasn't he? Joseph O'Donoghue was from Ballinacargy in County Westmeath. His family had been, I think, butchers or, or, or vigilers, whatever you want to call it. Now, being from Westmeath, there was a peculiar thing. As there was traditional emigration. You know, it's like Ireland in the in the fifties. Everyone had someone in England, had relations in England. But as I say, in Westmeath, in around the nineteen hundreds, he happened to have relations in Argentina. With the result that the River Plate, which was an Argentine company selling meat into Europe, right, set up a shop in Limerick, and surprise, surprise, they pick as a manager from Westmeath, County Westmeath. The belief was now, I, I haven't any definite proof in it, but was Joseph O'Donoghue was using 
the importation of the Argentine to bring in arms for the IRA. Whether he was or he was would be proved now, but certainly British intelligence believed that he was. And for that, that he came under, as you, you would say, he came under radar. Joshua Tansy was the mayor at the time. O'Callaghan had been the previous mayor. Now, O'Callaghan is unusual, right? In that I think he was educated in Clangleswood. They were a fairly wealthy family. He was an only son. Now, I think he had some sisters, but I'm not sure of that. So the murders took place on March, the night of March 6th, 7th, 1921. What exactly happened on that night and why weren't the culprits caught? What happened was about 11 o'clock. Now, Joseph O'Donoghue was staying with a family called Liddy's in Janesborough Avenue. Now, if you know where the Spotted Dog public house is today, just down from the Spotted Dog, are two fine red brick buildings. They're semi-detached. And I don't know who was staying there. Now, knocking came to the door around 11 o'clock. Now, Mrs. Liddy went out, and there was two men standing out there. Now, there could have been others. There were others. But she was confronted by two men who were police, and they demanded entry. And when she brought them in, they got everyone that was in the house to identify themselves. Now, at that time, you would have to have a list at the back of the door, listing everyone who was in the house. You know, this is the way they operate the curfew. And O'Donoghue was identified. And they went to his room. They wanted to, to search his room. They searched his room. They found nothing. But they took him out and left him outside the door while they were doing the search. And when they were finished, they said they were taking him away. They said that to Mrs. Uh, Liddy that she's not, no one is to leave the house until after 6 o'clock. Now, 6 o'clock in the morning. At that time, as I said, curfew was in force. And... You'd have to stay within in your house from seven o'clock in the evening, I think to seven anyhow, until six o'clock the following morning. So when Mrs. Liddy went out in the morning, or when the ladies went out in the morning, they found Joseph O'Donoghue's body some distance down from the house. They took him out and basically shot him. Now that was at eleven, between eleven and half eleven. Uh, about an hour, an hour and a half later, the mayor's house, Shosha Tansy, and the previous mayor's house, O'Callaghan, were both visited by um, a number of men. In the case of O'Callaghan, now O'Callaghan's lived at St. Margaret's on the North Strand, uh, just to explain where it is. If you go over Sarsfield Bridge and you come to the Strand Hotel and you turn down to the left, O'Callaghan, or uh, Clancy, lived also on the North Strand, but down in a place called Castleview Gardens. Now, Castleview Gardens is actually quite close to to um, Toman Bridge, quite close to where the Treaty Stone is today, and it is past the Strand Barracks. As I say, Clancy was living there. Now, about the same time, knock came to the door of O'Callaghan's, and when they looked out, there was two men out there demanding admission. O'Callaghan's were used. They had been raided so many times. They were... They were desensitised, you know, that they, they, um, they had become so inured to house raids. They just took it as one of those inconveniences. Why and Why they, were they constantly raided? Was it just because they were known to be... You see, it was, it was um, how would I put it to you? It was also British um, intelligence or British... Um, it caused fear. And it, when, when the leading citizens, you know, 
when they're under pressure. So I think it has a ripple effect back on the general population. Michael Callan was not involved in the IRA. George Clancy was, but both of them were in relative sense, they were relatively peaceful men, albeit members of a nationalist body. But by putting those two men under pressure, I think it was a way of getting at the population as a whole. You know, that's my theory. Yeah. Now, obviously, the British maintained that these people had seditious documents and all that kind of thing. Yes, they raided their houses time out of number, mm. and they never found anything. Yeah, it's suspicious. But, yeah. Now, I do believe that 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 some of the raids were, you know, if, if you raid it often enough, they won't take any notice. So you'll catch them, you know, when, when you actually come, they'll say to shoot them. You're going to catch them unawares. Yeah. And that's basically what happened that night. In the case of O'Callaghan, two men raided the house. Now, one of them we definitely know was George Montague Nathan. Now, Nathan had laid all the previous raids. Mrs. O'Callaghan identified his vice. Years later, when the Spanish Civil War was on, what is not very well known is that there was a split in the British battalion. Now, the Irishmen who joined the International Brigade to fight in Spain were linked up because they spoke English. They were joined up with the British battalion and quite a number of Republicans joined up, including Frank Ryan from Limerick. Now, it emerged after a while about Nathan was one of the senior men in the British battalion. And it emerged that Nathan had served in Limerick. And then it came out about the shooting of the mayors. And the Irish in the Spanish Civil War in the British battalion, they left the British battalion and they joined the American Lincoln battalion because they wouldn't serve with the, with, with the British in the in the Spanish Civil War. Now, that's something that's not very, very well known. But um, who did a very good book on it was Richard Bennett called The Black and Tans. Anyhow, Coming back to, to Limerick, two men, as I say, went to well, Callan's house, one of whom was definitely George Bennett. The second one, we believe, was William William Harrison. Now, we can't be certain about that, but it looks as if it wasn't William Harrison. He was from Northern Ireland. He was, he was an auxiliary as well. And he was alive in England during the 1960s when Bennett was doing his research on black and tans. That's why we think it, it was Harrison. Three men went to Clancy's. Now, for the three men to go to Clancy's, they had to pass the picket on the Strand Barracks. Now, can you imagine? Curfew's on. No one is supposed to, to be out during curfew, right? So if someone goes past the barracks, goes past the sentry, he's supposed to call them to, to challenge them. But he didn't challenge them. They went up to Clancy's. Same thing happened at Clancy's. Clancy was called out. They wanted him to, to, to come outside the door. And when he wouldn't, they opened fire and shot him. Um, his wife attempted to, 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 to attack him. But either way, they beat her off. And they ran past, back past the sentry at the Strand Barracks. Now, shots were fired. And these three men are running past the sentry. And he doesn't challenge them. So you have to say what was going on. To me, it, it, it is evident that the sentry knew that yeah. these men were British. Yeah, it sounds like it was collusion. Yes, it was collusion. Now, as I say, Mrs. O'Callaghan at the other end, she, she was dealing, her husband was dying. The husband always told her, if something happens, ring the barracks. So she rang William Street Barracks 
and she contacted the inspector on the night, Ibbotson. Now, what's this one? She rang at 20 past one. Ibbotson's own admission was that she rang at 20 past one. It was quarter to two before Ibbotson took out the patrol. Why was he waiting 25 minutes? Now, as I say, when she had contacted Dr. Roberts before that to come to her assistance. Now, Roberts was living in Mallow Street. Roberts went, walked from Mallow Street, down O'Connell Street, down Sarsfield Street. Now, while he's going down Sarsfield Street, he meets five men coming towards him on the other side of the street. Now, they didn't challenge him. Now, he had a, a, a doctor's bag with a very clearly marked uh, Red Cross emblem on it. And they knew he was a, the doctor going to, to either Clancy or, or Callahan's. And, and were these, these five men, were they police or were they the shooters? They were the death squad. As I say, we only know for definite that one was Nathan. We suspect that the other, the other three, right? We know, we, we think we know Harrison. The other three, we would believe, came out of Cruz's Hotel. At the time, Cruz's Hotel was being used to house a unit of auxiliaries. Now, the auxiliaries have a much more liberal system of operation than the than the military of the Black and Tans or the RIC. You don't know what they're doing half the time. In the case of Nathan, I mean, Nathan was going from Dublin to Limerick, Killaloo, you know, he could turn up anywhere. Anyhow, as I say, the Dr. Roberts passed the five men on Sarsfield Street or on Sarsfield Bridge as he went out to O'Callaghan's. How long would it have taken him to walk? At least 10 minutes, I would imagine. Okay. You know, like you can imagine, you know where Mallow Street is? Yeah. It's near the city park. Now that's okay. where, he, he'd be there near the city park. He would have walked from there down O'Connell Street, down Sarsfield Street, out to O'Callaghan's. Yeah. That was 10 minutes at least, maybe 15. So as I said, the, 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 uh, you know, it's, it is Robert's evidence that tells us how many men we were dealing with. Plus the fact that Mrs. O'Callaghan said two men were at her house. Mrs. Clancy said three men were at their house. And that tallies with, with what Dr. Robert Smith. As I say, in the case of Clancy's, there has to be collusion. The, the sentry didn't challenge the men going past, and he didn't challenge them when he had shots fired, and the three men ran back past the strand barracks, and still he didn't challenge them. So you have to ask, why was that? The reason I would believe is he knows that the special operations British Special Operations Group. Now, he informed his, the officer in charge of, the, of the, the guard, Lieutenant Smith, and instead of heading up back to where the shots had come from, Smith heads up back down towards, he ends up at Clancy's, all right, O'Callaghan's on the other side of, of, of Southfield Bridge. Why was that? How was that? You know, unless he knew that there was something going down. So I'm yeah. convinced that there was collusion between, first of all, as I say, why did it take Inspector Ibbotson 25 minutes to take out the patrol? Why did, did, did Lieutenant Smith head off in the direction opposite to where the shots were fired? Now, as I said, there was a court of inquiry and it was a complete whitewash. It found that there was shot dead by, you know, unknown men, believed to be Republicans. Yeah, they tried to blame it all on the Republicans, didn't they? They did, yeah. I mean, they might have believed that in England, but certainly they weren't believing in, in Limerick. Like no. Mrs. Clancy, neither Mrs. Clancy nor Mr. Callan would appear at the military tribunal. Okay. 
was that their own choice or was it because oh, they yeah, were that, okay. that was their own choice yeah yeah they probably knew it was all a farce anyway oh they did because they knew that their houses had been raided numerous times nathan had carried out three raids within the month so they knew who they were dealing with yeah you know now as i say nathan Athos became a communist and he died in the in the Spanish Civil War. He was killed at the Battle of Brunete in July 1937. Okay. You know, and as I say, even at that stage, like what you would you would kind of grudgingly admire is he was uh, whilst he was ruthless, he was also very brave. When when he was dying in, in, in at the Battle of Brunete, he got the men, <laughs> he got his men to gather around him and sing the international. There's no prayers. Okay. <laughs> he wasn't a prayerful man, but no. uh, apparently they sang him out of this life with the, the words of the international. Did they ever charge anyone for it or was it just kind of left? No. 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 Now, what, what amazed me was, was I was involved in a thing down in Tipperary there um, last year was a, on um, killing of the Odwar brothers near Bancha. And the file has not been opened. The file has yet to be opened. You know, even a hundred years afterwards, the file is not opened. And the belief is that they are trying to hide the identity of one of the witnesses. You'd wonder why. You see, they were trying to divert. They were trying to blame the IRAPers. Yeah. And you see, if they were trying to blame the IRA, why then would they not have published? You know, the, the, the fact that they were trying to blame the IRA is why I think they published the report of the inquiry. There was roads named after the three victims in memoriam, wasn't there? There was. Now, you see, the North Strand ran from Sassel Bridge right down to Cleves Factory. That was divided then into, you know, when they renamed it, what they did was they said left of Sassel Bridge was named O'Callaghan Strand and right of Sassel Bridge was named Clancy Strand. Now, O'Callaghan's house was on the left-hand side, as I say, as, when, when you go over Sassel's Bridge. Clancy's house was down below Castleview Gardens, actually, just off the Strand. But they've named the whole thing Clancy Strand and O'Callaghan Strand. And did they name anything after O'Donoghue? Yes, O'Donoghue Avenue in Janesboro. Now, if you go up to, do you know what Janesboro Church is? There's a, a road coming down, kind of at an angle to the to the church on the on the right as you face up the Roxburgh Road. That avenue is known as O'Donoghue Avenue. Okay, so I suppose I want to know: Were there any plans for revenge after the killings, or is there any evidence of a plan for revenge? Now you see, it's a very complicated. Limerick City is a very complicated thing. There were two battalions of the IRA in Limerick City. And they didn't get on at all. It goes back to 1916, where the 1st Battalion, who were in situ at the time, like after the surrender, they handed up the rifles. They had no choice but to hand up the rifles, you know. But uh, other fellows who hadn't been active in 1916 suddenly joined up and they became very militant. And George Clancy and Michael Callan would have been associated with the 1st Battalion. Now, the 2nd Battalion was organised largely by Madge Daly and a man called Ernest Blyde, right? And there was conflict, from the word go, there was conflict between the two battalions, primarily because the 1st Battalion handed up the rifles. George Clancy, as I say, and O'Callaghan would be associated with the 1st Battalion. The 2nd Battalion, which was more active, but wasn't 
you know, relatively speaking, Limerick City was not nearly as active as County Limerick. The part of County Limerick that was most active was East Limerick, based around Brook, Kilmallock, Galbley, Kiltealy. Kiltealy was an extremely active area. Castle Connell, Maru, they were all active areas. City wasn't that active. Now, there were very active individuals in the city, but as a unit, the city wasn't that active. Now, as you said, what came out from the inquiry was that the curfew patrol was very cursory. So the IRA could have operated in the city if they had if they had the wherewithal or the inclination. Okay. Was there a fear in the city or was there more of a fear than in the city than in the county? In the in the month, uh, I think it's about 18 people were killed in the city over over a two-year period. That's about one person a month nearly in Shanghai yeah. by the military. Just by the innocent police. Innocent people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like mm. um, in February 1920, there had been an attack on the RIC and they opened fire at the corner of Rochester Street and they shot a publican who was behind his counter in his shop, a fellow called Richard, um, I can't think of his second name, was it? and then there was a girl killed in Sarsfield Street the same evening, Johnson, Lena Johnson going home to, she was an usher in a cinema and she ran away home from work and uh, she was fired and she was killed. Yeah. You know, innocent people were set. You know, that, 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 that there were, as I said, there was 18 people, I think it was 18 people all killed over, dare I say, the two year period in the city. Now, in the county, it was different. The biggest ambush outside of Cork took place, took place at Drumkeen. I don't know if you know anything about it. No, I but, haven't heard of it. Right. Now, you know, and no disrespect, very few people have. There was no ambush in Kerry. Tipperary, Clare, came near it. There was 11 black and tans killed. And yet, as I say, that much is um, written about the ambush at Drumkeen. And the reason, the main reason is that the fellows who organised the ambush in Drumkeen, Dick O'Connell and um, Donica Hannigan, they both went free state during the Civil War. And unfortunately, you know, the Civil War, unfortunately, has coloured a lot of reporting and things. It's a really interesting story. I actually hadn't heard about it, the curfew murders, until recently. I can't remember where I saw it. I think I was on Liberty yeah, yeah. or something and it came up that it was 100 years since this murder. Mm. I suppose I want to know in the end, what effect did the murders have on the city at all? Well, it's difficult to quantify what effect they had, except that if, if the effort was to intimidate the people, I don't think it succeeded. But by the same token, Limerick City wasn't terribly active from an IRA viewpoint. As I say, the county was much more active. Like if you took the Irish War of Independence as a whole, right, there were 132 fatalities in Limerick, right? Now watch this one. If you were asked today which was the more Republican part of Limerick, East Limerick or West Limerick, most people would say West Limerick. Now, if you took the Meg River divides Limerick into East and West, of the 132 fatalities relative to the period, 22 related to West of the Meg, 110 related to East of the Meg. Now, it goes to show you, that's where the, dare I say it, the action was in Limerick, especially in Eastern, rural East Limerick. As I say, you take Places like Carcandish, Kiltili, Castle Connell, Maru, Galbley, Kilfinnan, you know, they were very active areas. The further west you went, even, you know, I said that, that, that's the irony about it, that perception would be that West Limerick was more, act, was more Republican. But if it was, 
it was also much less active during the War of Independence. Yeah, that's that's because I would have expected West Limerick to be more active as well. I don't know why it just seems more rural and all. Well, you see, the, let's be straight. Let's call the spade a spade, right? It is much stronger support for Fianna Fáil in West Limerick. Yeah. And Fianna Fáil have projected the image of being the Republican Party. Now, that probably holds true in most counties, and it does, in fairness, it does in most counties, but not in Limerick. Thank you for listening to the Limerick Voice podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for more because when Limerick speaks, we listen.